Good morning. morning. I'm glad to have you here with us today. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out to Kidmo. Before I get started, I just want to say thank you to a few people. Uh, First of all, I just thank you for all of you that helped support the uh, giving need we shared um, last week. So the family we shared with you that had some children, uh, four children, that did not have shoes, did not have coats, uh, didn't have warm clothes. Uh, because of your generous giving, it, you overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly took care of it. And so each child got at least two pairs of shoes, and each child got at least one coat, although I think every child got two, and each child got socks and some warm clothes to go with it. All within, you gave all that within an hour. So uh, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for being generous, and that is not only what Christmas is about, that's what following Jesus is about, and so we thank you for doing that. I also want to thank everybody that was involved in putting this awesome stage together. Uh, So I want to point out some specific people, because Jason, Jason, just wave. You don't have to stand up, but uh, you can come up here after the service and just let people come by and talk. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, Jason put all of the trees together, built them all, and if you want to come up here and take a look at them, they are like craftsman quality. So uh, he put all those together, and I know the Murphys and Richard, and did anybody else help on the stage that I haven't mentioned already? Uh, just thank you all for putting all that time in. I know Richard wanted to be with us. He's homesick. He's, he texted me early, early this morning and said, oh, I mean, I've been sick all night. I'm going to try to make it. Oh, no, just stay there. You just stay there. Take care of yourself. And I, so our our worship team has uh, just, they took, uh, they pivoted and did a great job this morning as they always do. So just thank you for all of your involvement. Uh, the McDutts lighting our first candle and Eli and Isaiah were awesome down here, weren't they? Um, so they just did a wonderful job. We appreciate them sharing that. Each week leading up to our Christmas Adam service, we'll ha- be lighting a different candle. Now, if you haven't been with us for Christmas before, Christmas Adam is the day before Christmas Eve. I I'm not can't remember exactly who came up with that, but we started doing that when we first started Journey. Instead of doing a Christmas Eve service, doing it the week or the day before because so many people traveled on Christmas Eve and it kind of stuck and so we'll be celebrating our Christmas Adam service on Friday night and so we hope before Christmas we hope that you will join us. Now we are starting a new series called Hidden Christmas. And the reason that we're doing that is because you know as well as I do that at Christmas time there are many competing things to focus on. There are many things that are going on around us, and I don't know how many of you uh, went out on Friday to shop. How many of you went out Friday? Let's just raise your hand. You went out on Friday. How many of you would not be caught dead out on Friday? There we go. That's the way I feel. So, uh, but I did go out on Friday, and uh, and. You know, there are a lot of things to compete with. I saw a story on CNN this week talking about what we have exported to other parts of our nation. Maybe you saw this as well. And there were Black Friday fights happening all over the world, something that we can certainly be proud of as a nation that we have exported into the rest of the world. Uh, So there are a lot of things that can compete with Christmas. And the true meaning of Christmas continues to disappear amongst all of the other busyness. Now, we love Christmas at our house. We love to decorate. We love Christmas trees. We love lights. We always go downtown and we look, even though there are fewer windows than there used to be, we like to go downtown and see how the windows are decorated. Uh, We love 
getting gifts. We love giving gifts. We always have opportunities at Christmas to adopt another family, and we love taking our kids to be a part of doing that. Uh, so we love Christmas time. We love the whole season. We love the music at an appropriate time and in an appropriate amount. You know, you can overdo it, but we love the music. We love all the festive eating stuff we do. We love Christmas. And my guess is that many of you feel the same way that we do. You love Christmas too, and that is fantastic. But when we come to this time of year, as followers of Jesus, all of those are secondary to what is the greatest story, now not only the greatest story that has been told, but the greatest story that's ever been lived out. When we come and light the Advent candles, it's one of the very few things that I do um, that are very traditional. It's one of the very uh, few liturgical elements that we exercise here at Journey. And the reason that I've loved it is because I used to do this as a child, and it helped remind us week by week leading up to Christmas, even though as a child the only thing I cared about was what was under the tree, it helped remind us week by week that there was a deeper meaning to what's going on at this time of year. And so that's why we do Advent, and that's why we wanted to do a little different series this year called Hidden Christmas. Hidden Christmas is what is the true story of Christmas. And it's hidden because so few people see it anymore. Now, you'll not hear us be uh, talking about the lack of Christmas trees or the word Christmas on Starbucks cups. I like the red Starbucks cups as well as the ones that say Christmas. They hold my coffee just fine, and I've never asked Starbucks to be my spiritual leader. I also don't mind if I walk into a store and they don't say Christmas. They say Happy Holidays. I don't mind. They can say that. It's not how I see this season, but I don't look to them to be my spiritual leader either. But it does symbolize that in the world around us, while you would see a manger in every home, even though that home may not be professing Christians, it was a part of the Christmas story, you see that disappearing. You see, talking about the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, the star, you, you miss hearing about those at Christmas time. And many of the wonderful songs that are so rich in theology that talk about the coming of the birth of Jesus, even though there are some really wonderful ones out there and they have been traditional in a lot of our upbringings, those are disappearing as well for other more fun, non-spiritual Christmas songs. So as you come here, we're not asking you to give up all of your other Christmas traditions. We're not. We're going to do follow a lot of those Christmas traditions. We'll probably be putting our tree up tonight if I can. I might be too tired, you know, maybe next weekend or the next. But we'll probably put it up tonight. We're not going to ask you to not to fulfill those uh, traditions that you have in your family. But instead, what we want you to do is to look deeper at what the true meaning of Christmas is. If you have a Bible, uh, I would love for you to open it to the book of Isaiah if you want to start looking that way. If you don't and you'd like to follow along on version, you can do that as well. This week is our week that we are talking about hope. And I want to talk to you about brokenness and I want to talk to you about darkness because that is the world that you and I live in. And we celebrate hope. I appreciate what Brittany shared and what we celebrate hope is that it is available to a very broken world. You and I don't have to listen to a sermon to know that the world is a very dark place, do we? We know it's a dark place. We know bad things happen in the world in which we live. We've seen 
this terrible bus crash that happened this week and these poor children that have lost their lives over an act of negligence and whatever else comes out in this story, we don't know. We look at those types of events and we say, why does this happen? How can this happen? If you're a parent, especially if you're a parent of a young child and you look at these families that their children will not come home after a day of school, it's likely you can't even let your hearts, much less your minds, go to that place. And instead, you just can't imagine what they must be going through. If you watch international news, you see that Christians all over the world are not only being persecuted, but many are being tortured and killed. It's likely that will happen today. We look around at what's happening at some of our greatest sporting events. We'll be celebrating the Super Bowl soon, and you may or may not know that the Super Bowl is the number one event in America that promotes sex trafficking and anything that we do as a nation. While they're playing sports and we're eating chips and we're watching the commercials, children are being taken and they're being sold into slavery all around us. The world is a dark place. We can't deny that that is the true state of the world that we live in. Now, as Christians, it's very easy, and some people that are prone to more depressive thoughts and dealing with depression within their lives, it's very easy to think about how dark things are. But when we come to the story of Christmas, the story of Christmas must begin just as the story of creation began. It has to begin with a world that is dark, a world that is broken, a world that cannot fix itself, a world that needs hope but has none. If you've ever been a place in your life where things are going wrong, if you've ever been in a cascading event in which one thing after another after another to the point that you wonder, what's the next thing that's going to happen? If you've ever been in that place, you know what it's like to have the absence of hope. If you've gone through great suffering, if you've gone through great trials, and if you've gone through great hurt, you know how important hope is. So we've watched some of our politics over the last few months as we've watched what's gone on with our population being so divided, we know that this is a world that is broken. All of this reminds us of the state of humanity before Jesus came. If you have your Bibles open to Isaiah, if you would like to follow along on version, I'm in Isaiah chapter 8, starting with verse 11. This is talking about, this is a not a prophecy, even though you see much prophecy in Isaiah. This is telling of the state of Israel at this time. This is what's going on in their worlds, what they're struggling with. And it's very interesting how their day at this time is described. It says in verse 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Now, by having to say, don't do these things, we can assume they are, in fact, doing these things. They are listening to what other people say. They are hearing the fears of the people around them, and it ignites their own fears. They look at the dread that is so prevalent in society around them, and they have absorbed that dread into their own lives. And he is saying, literally, don't be like the people around you. Be different. Don't accept what everyone else says about the darkness, because the whole world knows that we live in darkness. 
Instead, there's a better way. He goes on and says in verse 13, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among the disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is, listen, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Take that in. He is hiding his face from a people who have accepted all that is going on around them rather than keeping their gaze focused on the one who can give them hope. And the truth that we find just in these first few verses is that there are truths within this world that are hidden from those who do not want to see them. And so at Christmas, I would ask you, are there truths in this world that are being hidden from us because we are distracted among all the other good things going on around us where we may miss the best things? Verse 18 says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? What he's saying here is why are they asking all the spiritualists who don't know God and therefore don't know truth and therefore have no power for anything? Why are they seeking these people rather than seeking the one who has answers? The one who has truth. The one who loves. The one who has grace. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. You know, the truth is, is that that darkness exists all around us. For some of you, you know exactly how that darkness feels. You felt it coming and encroaching in upon your life, something so dark that you can feel it almost like a blanket that begins to cover you. For some of you, you've experienced darkness to such a degree that when there is light, when there is hope, you cling to it like it is the only thing worth having. And yet some, unfortunately, are immune to the darkness. They don't realize that it's all around. They don't realize that they have been enveloped by it. And they don't realize that their life is being lived all completely in the dark. And what I know to be true and what you know to be true is that this darkness does have power but only because God allows it. God has allowed there to be darkness in this world. When we look at the story of creation, what is the very first thing that God creates? Not life, not yet. 
Light, not light, not yet. First, there was a void, and it was dark. And then God introduced light. As we look through the creation story, we find God almost giving us a picture of what life will be like. That what is is not what is best. That what we live in is not what God wants ultimately for us. And what we train ourselves to accept is not what God says he has created us for. He has created us for so much more than darkness. But God chooses to hide his greatest mysteries from those who do not seek him. As a Christian, God's mysteries are a bit of a frustration for me. It may be for you as well. There are times I pray and I ask God for an answer and I say, God, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Or God, how are we supposed to react to this thing? Or we've got a decision to make. God, how am I supposed to make this decision? Or something bad happens to someone we love and we ask God, how are we supposed to understand this bad thing that has happened? And sometimes that answer is a mystery and that frustrates me. It frustrates me that I can't just open my Bible in every single situation that I could possibly come up with is not referenced there so that there's no question. It frustrates me at times when I say, God, when are you coming? We look at this darkness. We look at the number of Christians who are being persecuted. When are you coming? And there's no answer. And anytime you want to buy a book for somebody who has the answer when he's coming back, ask for your money back. They don't know. God has chosen for some things to be a mystery to us. And he has chosen some of those mysteries to only be revealed by those who truly want to know the answer. And sometimes, if we are honest about our motives, we don't always really want to know what his answer is. Instead, we have an answer we want him to accept, and we take that to him, asking him to accept this thing that I want. But every time we do that, that is the same thing as asking for the mediums, the necromancers, those who chatter. Because we're seeking to come up with an answer that is apart from what God says is best. And when we do that, we choose to submerse ourselves into this darkness. And we choose to swim in it and to love it and to accept it. And at times, even to embrace what the darkness tells us. That life is about us. That what's best for others is none of our concern. That we need to get everything we can out of this life before it's over. And if we need to step over somebody else to get it, then that's what we'll do. Because we're concerned most importantly with our own lives. We accept the darkness At times we blame God for the darkness and we ignore the fact that he has given us an alternative. But despite our best efforts to try to overcome this darkness on our own, what you and I know is that that hope cannot be found in this world. It can't be found in a politician. It can't be found in the accumulation of wealth so that you have no financial worries, that you can vacation to these incredible paradises at any time you want, that you don't have to worry about what your life's going to look like, where your next meal's going to come from, or what your retirement's going to be. 
despite our best efforts to be comfortable with the way that we decorate our homes and the cars that we buy and the jobs that we pursue, none of those things take us out of the darkness. But they do at times make the darkness a bit more bearable. But for God, that was never the answer. And at the time of Christmas, when we recognize that there is great darkness, we celebrate that a light would be dawning. Do you know, it's unlikely that Jesus was born on December 25th. Some of you who are scholars know this. Some of you who study or have heard that somewhere. It's unlikely that the time we celebrate Christmas in our time and in our place is actually the birth of Jesus. Now, there's a few reasons for that. It says that uh, when Jesus was born, the shepherds were doing what? Keeping watch by, over their flocks by night. Now, how many of you, when I woke up this morning, it was 29 degrees outside. How many of you want to go hang out outside when it's 29 degrees? A few of you, okay. But most of us would not want to do that. And most of the time, a shepherd is not going to take his flock out into the field in the middle of sub-freezing temperatures. It's not likely to happen. Another reason is that at the same time, Mary and Joseph had to travel. Why did they have to travel? Census was taken. Now, we can travel whenever it's cold. We hit the heat. If our heat's not working, we go get the heat fixed, and then we go. But they didn't have that. You don't just start a fire in the wagon while you're riding to keep warm. It's not wise to get there. So it's unlikely that a king would ever choose to have a census at a time when people might have to travel through snow and ice in order to get somewhere. If you, as a king, relied on their taxes, you don't want them dying on the way to be counted. And so likely his birth was probably sometime around summer or sometime in the fall, but not likely in the winter. But there is a reason why Christmas is celebrated when it is celebrated. As we look through the timing of our most beloved daylight savings time, don't we love daylight savings time? Aren't we all just happy as can be that at 6 o'clock it feels like it's 11 o'clock at night? But what we know is that at winter time, the days get shorter and the nights get longer. Again, you and I have all these modern conveniences. We don't have to worry about that. We just turn the lights on. Bulb goes out. We change the bulb out. We've got lights all night long. We can watch TV. We can be on computers and tablets and phones. We've got light whenever we want it. But that was not the case when this was being celebrated. And so there was a time that all of society, whether they were pagan or whether they were Christian, celebrated a holiday right at this time because it was the time in which the long nights would begin to get shorter. The day would have more light in it. And people knew the value of light. Where there is no light, it is hard to live. If you live, I, I, I saw, it was, I think, last week, um, in, uh, in Alaska, a place in Alaska, they were celebrating their last day of, of daylight for several months. And researchers tell us that those who live in places that have prolonged periods away from true natural sunlight struggle with not only sickness, but also deep depression. 
And so there's a reason that at Christmas time, so many people struggle with depression because there's less light around. And light is a natural combatant of depression. There's a reason that when you struggle with depression, you want to hide, you want to pull in, you want to be home all by yourself, you want to close the drapes, turn off the lights because you feel comfortable and hidden. Yet light exposes that and drives it out. And so Christmas began to be celebrated because it was the time of year that they celebrated light coming back into their lives. There's a reason we celebrate on December 25th. One of your friends at school, you guys, somebody's going to come up to you and say, well, you know, Christmas isn't, shouldn't really be on the 25th. And they're going to try to stump you, say, well, it's the birth of light into a new year. And they'll go, what? So there you go. That's why we celebrate Christmas at the time that we do. The announcement that Jeremy read first announcing to Mary that this was coming, was so much more than the beginning of a story. It was so much more than a time when they're just letting them know what's about to happen. It was more than a child being born. It was more than God coming down as a child, although that's pretty important. The announcement of the birth of Jesus was literally the announcement that the darkness was about to be overcome by the light. Now, if you, again, have experienced great darkness, you know the value of light. If you've lost someone dear to you and you are in the depths of despair, you know the value of hope. If someone you knew was taken and their life was taken from them because of their faith, you would experience great darkness. But knowing where they left and knowing where they were received to gives you hope because of the light that Jesus brought us. In Isaiah chapter 9, that passage we just read, that very exciting, encouraging passage of Isaiah 8, opens up to Isaiah 9 verse 2, and it says this, the people who walked in darkness have what? Seen a great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them was light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of the burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. In the very beginning, darkness overtook the earth. God created light to push the darkness back. For whatever reason, God allowed darkness to exist. But he also provided light to combat the darkness. When people were created, Adam and Eve were created, they were created to be perfect, to be whole, to be loving, to be full of hope and grace. All of the things that God said, this is what life is about, they experienced and yet, as the serpent came into the garden, he completely broke down what God had created for them because they embraced the darkness. They embraced that thing apart from who God is. Now, if you're like me, you know that we each struggle with some piece of darkness that we enjoy. 
There's some piece of darkness that feels at home. There's some piece of darkness that we may even seek after. That thing that we know God's not okay with this thing, but I'm okay with it. And sometimes our prayer life is spent trying to get God to accept this thing that we so much want to enjoy. The reason we do that is because we are seeking for happiness outside of the place that we can actually have it. And like a carrot in front of a donkey, we continue to chase after it, never attaining the very thing that we would give everything to have. And so it's within our lives that we look at the story of Jesus and we recognize that in this dark world, it is as dark then as it is today and tomorrow will be as dark as it ever has been. But what has happened when Jesus entered into the story is he allowed light to combat the darkness. As we sit down, if we get pulled into all of the Christmas traditions and we never worship Jesus, then we have embraced the darkness over the light, even though the light is all around us. If we get so caught up in the gift giving and the gift receiving that we forget how important the coming of Jesus was to dispel the darkness, then we say, I am more comfortable here where it is dark than there where it is light. And so as we seek after God's understanding of what Christmas is, we believe that hope is nothing that we can do on our own. It's not anything that we can achieve on our own, but instead Hope must come from outside of this existence in which you and I live. A lot of people seek for hope in this world. We go to doctors and we try to make them or help them make us feel better. We try to cover up all of our heartache by going shopping or eating or traveling. We do all kinds of things trying to bring hope into this world. We have all kinds of nonprofits set up to combat darkness within this world. If we can just fix this problem, then it'll be better for everybody. And as our favorite line from beauty contests, if we could just have world peace. <laughs> all the ways we've tried to have world peace. We created a Atomic bomb so that there would be world peace, except there wasn't peace. We dropped it on two cities full of people. War is the ultimate act of darkness in this world. When we are eager to fight, the darkness is overtaking our hearts. When we are eager to kill so that we can preserve our way of life, then we are allowing the darkness to overtake our hearts. Scripture tells us that of all that is valuable in this world, there is one outside of God that is most value, and it's love. When everything else is gone, one thing will remain, and it will be love. As we look through that Scripture and we read through the rest of the Bible and what God has shown us and how Jesus acted in this world to teach us, what we find is that all of life is actually about love, and yet what we find not is love and acceptance. What we find is division. If you want to know who's driving division in our nation, all you got to do is look at pocketbooks. Division has always been fueled by those seeking to become wealthy off the division of people. Because we were never created to be divided. We were created to be together. 
We were created to love. It is the very reality of what life is supposed to be. But it's hard for us to love, to truly love, when we all we look around us, everything is dark, everything is hurtful, everything is corrupt, everything is evil. We struggle with those things. Verse 5 goes on and says, Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will we be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And from that, all those names of God, what we find is that three wonderful characteristics of knowing God. Number one, that God is able. That God is with us. And that you and I, we can be God's child forever. That is the hope of Jesus and what he brings to us. If we choose to see it. If we choose to accept it. And when Jesus came into the world, it wasn't just to provide a way. It was a way to overturn all of what was happening in the world so that you could take people and actually give them hope. So the gospel is more than just that thing that we're supposed to talk to people about. The gospel is more than just that thing that validates our existence as a church. The gospel is more than just we need to go to other parts of the world and tell them about Jesus. The gospel is light entering the darkness and overcoming it. When we understand that is the role of the gospel, then the fear that we have of sharing it with others begins to disappear. Because they live in darkness, but they need light. That person who is an absolute jerk at work needs light. That person who sits in the corner and never talks to anybody needs light. In those moments that you want to just disappear into your own world and you want to hide from everything that's going on, you need the light of the gospel. Then when God said, I am coming to your rescue. All that has been left in the hands of humanity has been destroyed. But I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to show you a better way. I'm coming to let you know that I am here. I am able. And you can be with me forever. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that. Not only will he do this, because you'll remember Isaiah was written before Jesus was born. He will do this and he has done this. Jesus is the only way that you and I can navigate through this darkness so that we can walk in the light. It's the only way that we can do that. All the ways that we try, all the different attempts that we have made, they all fail. And and I I just got to tell you, sometimes the church is culpable for that very failure because we have made your relationship with God about us instead about him. You just need to do all the things we say you need to do. You need to give to all the things we say you need to give. You need to be here and you need to serve and you need to do all these things. And then if you don't do those things, then God's not going to be real happy with you. 
There are some people who really take it to the extreme. If you will give me what you've got, God will give you way more than you have. And while there may be some spiritual truth to that, that is not the way it's taught in many churches around the world. If you give me a 50, 50, God will give you 5,000. So give me your only 50. And what we have done is we have made following Jesus more about helping our institutions to thrive instead of you knowing who Jesus really is. Because what I know, and over the eight years that we've done Journey, is that it doesn't matter what we say. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many programs you come to. It doesn't matter how many services you sit in. It doesn't matter how many places you serve. It doesn't matter how much money you give. You're still walking in darkness under the false idea that what is going on in the church is light. Light is Jesus. And all we should be as a church is a reflection of what Jesus is doing. And thereby, because the church is not an organization or an institution, the church is made up of people that have said, I'm in the darkness, rescue me from this darkness. I want to be in the light. Then it is us who go out and show people the true light. We are the ones that have to go out and show that. We don't have to create programs to do it. We don't have to guilt people into coming to the church. We don't have to guilt people into serving or guilt people into financially being generous. We don't do that because once you have seen the light, you embrace it. And that no longer becomes action that we're trying to somehow hide all of our problems and hide all of our suffering. And instead, it is an expression of the love we have for God and the desire to follow in his ways. That's what the Christmas story is about. Not the foundation of an organization. It is changing the entire fabric of the world for those who would seek him and those who would accept it. Jesus is the only way we can navigate through the darkness and walk in the light. He is the only way to find what is true. He's the only way to find what is real. And he is the only way that you will ever discover what is hidden. God himself will do that. So we read through how God works. We read about the Holy Spirit. And and Jesus says, when I leave you, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be your helper. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you in so many ways. Some of the ways that we read about the Holy Spirit helping us is he helps us to understand, unlock the mystery of Scripture. If you've ever read Scripture and thought, I have no clue what this is saying. This is just all, I don't know what this is saying or what this means. But then one day something happens, you're like, this makes sense. This makes total sense. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Excuse me. The Holy Spirit also has a role to give you a spiritual gift because the light is supposed to go into every crevice of the darkness so that no more darkness exists within this world. Now, we'll never accomplish that goal, but one day what Advent tells us is Jesus came once, Jesus is going to come again, and at that time it's, it's over. Until that time, you and I are spreading the light all over this globe. That's our role. That's our place. That's our joy. That's our honor. That's God's invitation. But too many times, Christians are focused on what can God do for me instead of what has God done for me. Many times we struggle with understanding how does God work? Why don't I hear God's voice when we go to him? And we confront him as if we were equals 
much less He is the Creator, the Sustainer, the Savior. That's why repentance is so hard for us. That's why the original sin was the same sin you and I struggle with every single day, whether you're a Christian or not. You struggle with the same sin. I want to be the Lord of my own life. I want to determine where I go. I want to determine what I spend my time on. I want to determine what my career is. I want to determine how much money that I earn I get to put into my life versus to give to others. I want to determine what my life looks like as I age. I want to determine what my retirement's going to be. I, don't, I want to determine how I go out of this world. I want to be in charge of this. That's why repentance is so hard, because we say, God, I cannot be in charge. When I'm in charge, I walk in darkness. But when you're in charge, I walk in light. So you be in charge. You take over for me. And that's why the posture of those who seek God is always on their knees. Because we recognize he is the Savior and we are not. Man, I got to tell you, when I came to that realization within my life, it was like the biggest moment of relief I've ever experienced. When you finally come to the place and say, I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to make all the right decisions anymore. I just have to follow him. I don't have to make this all work out the way it's supposed to work out. That's up, up to him. I don't have to worry about all my failures. God even turns those into incredible opportunities to share the light. That's an incredible relief to recognize what God has given us when the light entered into this world. You and I, as much as we want to try, cannot save ourselves. And the reason that we don't continue to celebrate the law as those who are still strict Jews do is because we recognize the law was never meant for us to save ourselves. It was always meant to show us you are beyond saving unless someone else intervenes. We can't save ourselves. We can try. We can make any list of things that we want to do to say, this is how I'm going to save myself. God, I am going to um, go to church every week. I'm going to serve anytime they ask. Half of my paycheck is going to go to the church and to every ministry they ever do. I'm going to do all these things. If you will just let Tennessee beat Vandy. (laughs) Is it too soon? Too soon for you all? A little too soon for me. But that's what we do. We determine what we believe is going to be the very best thing in this world. And we go to God and say, I've got it worked out, God. Let's just do this. God? God? I wonder why he's not talking to me. Why Why don't I hear from him? Why is he not active in my life? And it's because we approach him as equals rather than approach him as God. We don't have the ability to save ourselves. And even if we string together this list of how good I'm going to be, even if we have these group of people that we constantly look at and say, man, I'm better than they are, at the end there is still going to be a judgment, and there is one judge. You and I are not it. We will not be on a committee. You and I are not going to be on a jury. We're not going to be sitting there going, you know, I kind of thought the same thing. I think he's okay. I really do. I think he's okay. God will decide that. We cannot choose to do that ourselves. Paul talks about this, this this coming light. I love what he says in Colossians 1, 
Starting in verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Right off the bat, this is one of the things I love about Paul. I, I rejoice in my sufferings. He's hurting here. I, I'm hurting, but I'm okay with it because I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm okay to be hurting. I'm okay not to have everything that I want. I'm okay to be struggling. I'm okay that you have asked me to tithe. I'm okay that you have asked me to serve others before myself. I'm okay that you have said, turn the cheek when they strike me. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Why? In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What is the word of God? That in the darkness, there was a light that was born. And when he was born, he took on the sins of the world. That anybody that would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So the word of God is what Paul says. I am just so thankful to spread this light, what's going on around us. To make the word of God fully known. Verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is this mystery? Which is Christ in you. Which is what Christmas is all about. Christ in us. Christ in us. There is a way that leads to life. But every, every other way in our world leads to destruction. We have to choose which way we're going to go. And we know that the world is filled with darkness. It is. We see it. If you watch the news, you know it. If you look around at your neighbors, at your friends, and some of you, if you just look at your own lives, you know darkness is real. You've experienced the darkness of someone who struggles with mental illness. You've seen someone who has struggled with addiction. You've seen someone who struggled with feeling like they have no value and no worth in this world, and so they would just as soon die as face the reality, even though the reality is so much farther from that. You know that that is true. We know that the world is filled with darkness. We can't save ourselves. But in spite of that, Jesus and his birth tells us that there is hope. Tim Keller says this. I thought it was so great. I wanted to share it with you. It says, Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Jesus became mortal and died because we are too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. Jesus gave himself to us, and so we must give ourselves wholly to him. We are, therefore, not our own. Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and more threatening than we imagine. Isn't that the truth? It is threatening to truly embrace this idea. Because we have to take our own selves and our own egos and push them to the side. It is truly threatening to think that I have to give myself wholly to someone else instead of trying to get others to wholly give themselves to me. It's dangerous, it's difficult, and it's threatening. But this light 
If you're in this room and you're struggling knowing that you are being enveloped by this darkness, it is available to anyone who's willing to give up everything in order to attain it. This is the mystery to the church in America. Because we want God as a piece of hope, but we don't want to give up everything in order to have it. We want a piece of it. We're collectors. We don't give up everything for what is better. Matthew 13 describes it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I give it all away to have this one thing. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. You can have everything. I just want this one thing. As I look at people as we've worked with over the years and friends that we've developed and stories that are so horrific you can't imagine them, they could be true outside of a movie or a bad TV show. What I've learned about those who have suffered much is that they love the gospel most. Those who have hurt the most, they live it out to the greatest extent. Those who have suffered the most love the gospel most because they have been made new. The darkness came in and it did not overcome us. The darkness surrounded us, but it did not take us away. Instead, we had God there with us, pushing back the darkness through the light of Jesus Christ. The last thing I want to leave with you, because there is, as you If you embrace what I'm saying, it changes the way you see the world. And it leads to a place of having to say, this world is not all that awesome. Even though as children, we want to think the world is awesome, and we want to get the very best parts of it. To embrace this is to say, the world is dead apart from Jesus. So when and how does a Christian honestly follow God honestly believe in Jesus, honestly trust him, how do they do that and not absolutely hate every minute that they live in this world? I will tell you many of the disciples said they hated every minute that they lived in this world. Paul himself said it would be so much better if I would just die and I would be with him. But he believes it's better for me to be here with you. Not you, but you know what I mean. With those that he was preaching to. There has to be a place if we embrace this truth that we have to recognize there is hope outside of the world in which we live and we are waiting for something that is going to be better. Augustine said it this way. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So as a follower of Jesus, what that means is every day I have to Seek God for my rest. Every day I look at the news and I think, man, I need to run for public office. Not really, but you know. Every day I look at the news and I think, you know what? Somebody just ought to go ahead, go over there and take care of those guys. Look at all the suffering they're causing. Every day I I look at the news and I look at what's going on around us and I think they should find every drug dealer and they should just torture them to death. I think that. 
but that is embracing the darkness. That is letting my human emotion, my human desire to be Lord of my life, my human desire to say, it is me who gets the control and I can save myself and I can save others. But I can't. Only Jesus can do that. So every day I do not feel rest until I find my rest in him. That is the way we live our lives. We look at the world around us and we see the darkness as the darkness begins to overcome the people we love. And we want to push back that darkness. But there's only one light that can do that. And if we're not showing that in the way that we live, then they are not going to find it themselves. So how we live determines much of where the light's going to go around this world. If we're so focused on our gift giving this year, on our wrapping, on our parties. Listen, I expect to come to some parties, people. But if that is what Christmas is about, then we have missed what it looks like to push back the darkness. It's so much more than that. So as we celebrate this season, I pray that you would have a wonderful time with your friends and your families. I pray that you would enjoy every tradition that you have developed within your families. We've already started that in our house and with our extended family. I hope that you have fun with your neighbors and friends. And if you like to put up those huge blow-up stuff, that's great. I like to see it at other people's houses. But that's great if that's what you want to do. But let's not forget that we cannot find rest until we find our rest in Him. That is the story of the gospel to us. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that what has been hidden has been made clear. What has been a mystery has been revealed. Father, I thank you that at this time of year we can celebrate so many wonderful things with the people we love, but ultimately we can celebrate that you have pierced this darkness. You have come into all of this suffering to give us hope and to bring us out and to rescue us, not just from the darkness, but we can rescue us from ourselves. Father, I thank you for your love. Let us show that love to others. Father, in those moments that we're tempted to take all of the burden of this world onto ourselves and we have to deal with it and we have to solve all the problems, Father, help us to fix our eyes on you. Father, I pray that when we are suffering and we are struggling and we are tempted to blame you for all that we are struggling through, I pray that we will recognize you are the rescuer. You are the one who came into this place. You experienced every hardship and every trial that we experience. But you came in to show us a better way. Father, help us to not only live in this truth that is revealed, but let us reveal it to others as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.